Last week we talked about his beautiful masterpiece. You guys remember that? And that beautiful masterpiece be you. Amen? Amen? Talked about how we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We talked about the temple of how when Solomon built that amazing temple, how it was amazing, it was awesome, it was crazy, just spectacular. And then we talked about that, you know, what I did a little bit of research on the internet and found that they say that that temple today would be anywhere between 150 to 215 billion dollars. And one guy said about a half a trillion because the, the quotes on 150 billion didn't even account for the labor, didn't even account for the other precious metals besides gold and silver. So 150 billion is a low estimate. And the cool thing about that is we see how incredible that was. was for, it was a house for God to dwell. And God said, and this is my paraphrase, obviously, you know, that's cool. I appreciate that, Solomon, but I want a more glorious temple. And guess who that is? That is you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit if you're born again. Obviously, there's a qualification. You have to be born again. Then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Then you are born again, and you are the temple of the living God. And his desire is to dwell in you versus dwelling in some building. Amen? So you are his beautiful masterpiece. He designed you for, all, for, for great things. And in, in verse Ephesians 1, 5, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. One of my favorite parts of that verse. He brought us to himself in Christ, through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So not only did God adopt us, but he brought us to himself so he can have intimate relationship with us. And he did these things so that we could glorify him. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. That's you. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And then, as we're, so as we're born again, then he tells us, for he says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then Jesus said, John 14, 12, he says, anyone who continues to believe in me, the miracles or works that I do, shall he and she do also. In the word works in that verse, the word works in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and the word works in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it's the same word. So the kind of works that God designed for us to walk in are the same kind of works that Jesus walked in. Some of us may have a hard time getting, that, getting used to that, but I want you to get used to that. We need to get used to and begin to believe and agree with what God has designed for us to walk in. And it's not so that we'll go around showing off looking all big and bad. It's so that he becomes glorified. Remember, he said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify him. So there's a way for that to happen. Amen. So in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, he talks about all this cool stuff in our new identity, who we are, we're adopted, we're his, we're with him, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, all this cool stuff in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. I'd encourage you to read that when you get a chance. And also in, well then in chapter 4, it's like there's a transition. 
Because Paul says, therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Because all this other stuff is true that I just said in chapters 1 through 3, this is your response. Walk worthy of your calling. Are you with me still? Walk worthy of the calling. This is what he's done. This is who you are now. Now walk therein. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive power to be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Remember when Jesus said that to his disciples? You shall receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And here's why you're receiving this power. So that you can pray in tongues really loud. (laughs) Think that's the answer? He said, here's why you shall receive power, so that you can be my witnesses. Amen? You shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, let me ask you this. Right there when he says, you shall be my witnesses, he's he's saying Jerusalem first. Now, we notice there's a progression. Jerusalem was where they were, which is close to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, right? So, in other words, he was saying, you're to start where you're at and work your way out taking the gospel. Would you agree with that? Now, do you believe that, as far as we're concerned, this is a specific command or a principle that we're to follow? What I mean by that is, if we say this is a specific command, that means we all, once we're born again, need to move to Jerusalem and start there. Do you think that's how we're supposed to apply that? It'd be pretty expensive plane tickets, wouldn't it? So when he's talking about what I see there is he's talking about start where you are and then move out. And so for us, how we would apply that in principle is starting in Stillwater or Perkins or Glencoe or Pawnee or wherever you are, you start where you're at and you begin to go where you are and begin to share the goodness of Jesus from there. Does that make sense? So we get to apply this in principle, not necessarily specifically, right? Now, do you see that I'm not adding or taking away from this? Okay. The reason why I'm saying that is because I'm about to use another, about to apply this in another principal way, but it's not going to be geographically, it's going to be relationally. So we can apply this when it comes to our daily lives and relationships. In other words, there are certain relationships we start with, and then we move out. And I even believe that, you know, we're to be Jesus' witnesses in Stillwater, in Oklahoma, in the United States, and to the world, right? We're to tell people about Jesus. We're to show the love of Jesus, that kind of thing, share the good, good news. But I believe also we are to take this principle and follow it in our relationships. And I, saw, I learned this progression week, recently, and I thought it was pretty cool in Ephesians. So we're to start with our first relationship. And if we were to start with... Jerusalem or our first relationship, what relationship do you think that would be? Somebody. Say that again. Marriage. Anybody else have anything else or different? What was that? Children. So you're thinking in the home context, right? I used to think that too. Then I realized I don't think that's necessarily accurate. And I saw something because when in chapter 4, when he says, I therefore the prison of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then he starts right there. 
He doesn't start with husband and wife, although he gets to that. He doesn't start with children, although he gets to that. He doesn't start with employee-employer relationships, although he gets to that. Where does he start? Where? Not, you say self? Not self. The church. That shocked me. He starts with the church, and as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, that makes sense, actually, because before I was a father, before I was a husband, I was a member of the body of Christ. I started, and matter of fact, in this body is where I gained my wife, and then out of her came my children. So I think it's intentional. I don't think it's an accident that he starts with the body of Christ. And he says in verse, starting, he says, Therefore, the prison, I, the prison of the Lord, beseech you or encourage you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's saying how we need to walk together in the body of Christ. You know, we've been talking about for a number, for a while, about being intentional in relationship. Intentional in relationship in the body of Christ. Because see, we as Christians, we talk about, I love you, I love you, hey brother, I love you, hey sister, I love you, all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, I really don't think that we as Christians really know how to do that. Or whether or not we know how to do that, we really don't do that. Because in other words, we can say I love you and all that kind of stuff on Sunday morning, but where are you or where are we on Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? When people really need something, where are we? In other words, are we really walking in love like Jesus told us to? He said, by this will the world know that you're my disciples, by the power that comes out of your hands when you lay hands on the sick. Is that what he said? Although that's cool stuff, right? And we want that. But he said, here's how the world will know that you're my disciples. By the love that you have for, not the world, for one another. If we do not learn how to walk in love with each other, then the world is going to continue to blow us off like they are right now. We want to have all these cool shows and things to win the lost, to try to encourage them and get their attention that they need Jesus and everything, and they see how we treat each other. They're like, y'all can keep that. Are you hearing me? But when they see us, people who come from various backgrounds, variety of ethnical backgrounds from different countries, economic, all kinds of different backgrounds, and we can come together and walk in love together, and they see that, and say, hmm, now you got something different. What's going on over there? Because, see, many of the people out there who don't go to church now, in Oklahoma particularly, many of them used to go to church, because in Oklahoma, everybody goes to church, at least used to, right? And you talk to people out there on the streets and everything, and the majority of them used to go to church. You notice I said used to. And they don't anymore. And if you get into a dialogue with them, you find out that they have reasons why they don't go anymore. And they say, all oh, those hypocrites, or I was hurt. You know, they have all these grievances against the church. 
Now, whether that's all true or not and exaggerated or whatever the case is, they've experienced something in the church that wasn't good. And so their view of the church is negative. Their view of the church is the church is irrelevant and it's a dangerous place and I ain't going there because I don't want to get beat up again. And right here, he's saying that we are to walk in lowliness or humility and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring, endeavoring. In other words, there's, a, there's an intentionality that needs to happen in keeping the peace, right? In other words, we don't just show up on Sunday and sing the same songs and agree and say, oh, we're in unity. That's not how it works. There has to be an endeavoring. And why would he say that? Why would he say we have to be long-suffering and gentle, bearing with one another in love? Why would he say that? Because he knows there's going to be relational problems. He knows that there's going to be challenges relationally. When you're by yourself, you're good. You don't have any relational problems. When you get another person, boom, that's when all the problems start to happen, right? You were a perfect husband when you were single. I know I was the perfect father when I didn't have any kids. See someone, how they're dealing with their kids, it's like, if I was a dad, they wouldn't be having them, I wouldn't be having them problems. Then you become a father. Oh, Lord, help me. As soon as you get people together, that's when the problems start to happen. And see, God is doing some wonderful things in this local church concerning relationships. And many of you are experiencing amazing relationships and and togetherness and community and all that good stuff. My question to you is, what happens when the honeymoon stage wears off? Because it's going to happen. This this wonderful bliss that you may be experiencing because maybe you've been here for a few months or a year or whatever, and you love us all. We're just wonderful. Pastor, you're great. But what's going to happen when you really get to see, see, you see our perfections right now. We see each other's perfections. But what happens when you begin to see our imperfections? Because everybody else besides me has those. (laughs) So what happens when you're in this wonderful community And maybe you hit it off with a couple. Maybe there's a couple and you hit it off with another couple and things are going really great. You're serving together. You're living life together. Life is great. And then something happens. Something was said. There was a misunderstanding. Something happened, unintentional or intentional, and it rubbed you the wrong way, and boom, you got an offense. What are you going to do then? You You know what a lot of people do? They get called to another church. All of a sudden, God calls them to go to another church. I think it's amazing timing. It's like, wow, you know, brother, I said, what happened? We haven't seen you in a while. Oh, yeah, I feel like the Lord called me over here. Wow, that's amazing. And see what's going to happen. They're going to be called over in that church, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to go through the honeymoon stage. Everything's going to be wonderful because they see all their perfections. And then they're going to run into their imperfections, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to get called somewhere else. I mean, see what I'm getting at. It's pretty sad that you and I as a Christian will not grow if we continue to run into conflict 
and then run away from it. Versus we run into conflict because you will run into conflict. If you go to a church and they say there's no conflict, they're either lying to you or something's really, really wrong and you need to get out of there ASAP. But we are going to experience the conflict in relationship. Okay, let me, let, me re- let me rephrase that. You will experience conflict in relationships if you go deeper. If you stay on the surface and all you talk about is the, is the cowboy game or the weather or all that kind of stuff, you'll be good. You'll be good. But if you want to start sharing life together and learning and growing and letting iron sharpen iron, start doing that, you're going to experience conflict. Because you're going to come up against selfishness or self-centeredness or imperfection. Seeing that God is still working out in that person's life. And you run into that. That's what happens in marriage, right? Well, y'all's marriage, not mine. But that's what happens. And when you come into that situation, what are you going to do with that? Now, why is this important? Why am I talking about this? See, I talk about treasure hunting. I love to go treasure hunting. I take people on treasure hunts. I'm all about the evangelism. I'm all about it. But don't you find it easier to love strangers than to love people that you're closer to? Let me rephrase that. Don't you find it easier to be nice to strangers? You can be chewing your kid out or having an argument with your wife. And all of a sudden a stranger comes, hey, how you doing? (laughs) Fine, yeah, I'm blessed. You'd be blessed too. Boy, you better get back. (laughs) We don't talk to strangers like that. But if we want to be effective out there, then we need to allow God to work and work in our lives in the relationships in here. Because what I'm finding, if I learn to love you, then I'm really going to be able to truly love the people out there. If I'm not loving you and I'm not learning to get along with you and learning to walk in forgiveness towards you and learning to deal with and be long-suffering and work through all that, then all we're going to be doing is inviting other people into our mess. You hear what I'm saying? Because, see, we'll be nice to them at first, and, oh, we're glad you're at our church, and da-da-da, come to my house, and all this kind of stuff, and we wine them and dine them, and all that kind of stuff. And then they come in, and then they really start to see us and say, whoa, these people are messed up. They tricked me for a while. But if they come into this local fellowship and they see people not only just getting along, but when they have differences and they have clashes, they work through the clashes. And they walk in love towards one another and they forgive one another. When they see that, they're going to say, okay, there's something different here. By this will the world know that you're my disciples. By the love you have for one another. The name of this message is Finding Your Jerusalem. You need to find where you're supposed to start. You need to find where you're supposed to start. Take that ground, get that situation taken care of, and then move forward. We start in Jerusalem, preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Stillwater, and then we move forward. But you got to take Stillwater first. You got to start in Jerusalem. You don't skip where you're at and go somewhere else. We can't bypass each other. We cannot skip relationship with each other. 
and then go out there and be all lovey-dovey to the world and then come back and treat each other like trash. That is not honor Jesus and that is not kingdom living. Can I get an amen on that? And reason why this is so important, in chapter 4 we see when we get to the verse 11, he says he gave some apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors for the equipping of the saints, you know, the fivefold ministry, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so that the body is built up and becoming mature and growing up into Christ, becoming mature, not being tossed to and fro, kind of paraphrasing. And then when you get down to verse 16, it says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Remember, every joint's talking about people, right? So what every person supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, and this causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So the reason why it's important for us to learn to get along and walk together and really share life, this is where true discipleship happens. You know, Bible studies are important, but I don't believe that's true discipleship or complete discipleship. I mean, how many Bible studies do we have here in America? How much biblical information do we have here in the United States? And there's nothing wrong with that. But what can happen is we get so accustomed to information. We fill ourselves with information, and we think information equals maturity. So, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. First Samuel, blah, blah, blah. I know that. First Kings, I know that. First Chronicles. You know, we know that, but we're not walking in that. When we're walking in that, then do we truly know that? Because what you really believe is what you're doing. Otherwise, it's just theory. So it's important for us to come together and every part do its part, everybody do their part, that's what's going to cause us to grow up into maturity in Christ. It's not just the leadership. It's the leadership plus the body coming together, working together, doing our thing. Boom, we become effective. We become mature. So when people say, well, I can go to church, I can not go to church and still be a Christian. True statement. But I believe that if you're not in a local body, you will not grow up into maturity. Because see, when you're by yourself, you're right all the time. <laughs> and you can come up with these, these crazy, weird theories or theological things. But it's when you share this, hey, bro, check this out. I was reading the Bible last night, and I think the Holy Spirit shared this with me. And you start sharing this stuff, and he starts looking at you cross-eyed. It's like, <laughs> um, see, I don't think that's accurate. What are you talking about? Well, let me, you know, over here it says this and this and this. Oh, I forgot about those verses. You ever done that? You get an idea, and maybe it's based on a scripture. You begin to run with that, forgetting about all the other scriptures that put it in balance. So we need each other to help each other stay in balance. Are you hearing what I'm, what I'm saying? And you will not grow up into maturity as long as you continue to leave to flight when it gets hot, when it gets tough. Now, there are times when the Lord calls you or calls me or calls us to different locations. But I believe if he's calling you to another place, then he's going to have you get everything situated, get your relationships taken care of before you leave. Amen? 
Verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you did not learn, you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. There again, talking about our identity, who we are. You were this way, and now you are this way. If we're going to walk in unity together, if we're going to walk in true relationship and learn to grow in that, then we have to put off our former life. The way we used to do things, being darkened in our understanding, excluded from God. We have to put that off and put on a new man. We have to begin to agree with what God's word says. See, in the world it says if someone offends you, you have a right to be offended. You have a right to be bitter. You have a right to retaliate. That's what the world says. And if you talk to people with a carnal mindset, they're going to encourage you in that. They're going to feed your bitterness, your resentment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the word says, in verses 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. See, that's the new man. That's the new way. That's the kingdom way. And you know what doesn't say? You're not going to have problems. Matter of fact, in verse 26, back to 25 first, verse 25, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Check out verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. So if you let the sun go down on your wrath, you're giving place to the devil. But right here it says, be angry and do not sin. Remember the context. Now see, I've preached this, and typically we look at this in the context of marriage relationships, which is a perfect application for that. But that's not the context that he's talking about right here. He's talking about the body of Christ. There are going to be times when you get angry at your brother or sister. He didn't say, don't get angry, don't. What is your problem? Don't get angry. Now, later it does say, now put away all anger. But earlier it says, be angry, but yet do not sin. Do not let the sun, do not let the sun go down on your anger, or you will give the devil a place, a foothold, a stronghold in your life. So there, are, there is going to be conflict. If there is no conflict, then you're just around a bunch of robots. But if we're really living who we are and we're growing, then there's going to be conflict. That's not the issue. It's how you deal with the conflict. And see, when we say we love Jesus, when we declare, Jesus, I love you, that means I'm going to do things the way you want me to do them. I surrender my way. I surrender the right to be bitter, 
the right to be resentful, the right to retaliate. I, I laid that down at your feet. Do you think Jesus had a right to be bitter, to be resentful, to be vindictive? It's a good thing he wasn't. He would have blown us all up. <laughs> Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And we're to do the same thing he did. Father, forgive them. But we can say, he knew exactly what he was doing when he hurt my feelings. Father, forgive them. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is, but what is good for necessary edification or building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think that's a pretty cool thing right there. You want to know how we grieve the Holy Spirit in this context right here, according to what it's talking about? When we let unwholesome words, when we let corrupt words come out of our, our mouths towards each other. When I'm speaking about my brother or sister in a negative way, if I'm speaking to my brother and sister in a negative way, if I'm not building up, because it says edifying, words that edify, that means to build up. If I'm not building you up, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit because he wants to build you up. So I'm holding him back from doing what he wants to do through me because he wants to build you up and I want to tear you down. Imagine what it would look like when we in this fellowship, when it becomes our culture where we build each other up. I'm not talking about flattery. We tell each other how pretty you are and how wonderful. There's a, there's a fine line. And sometimes it can come across as flattery or it can come across as edifying and build each other up. We have to be careful about that. And I think the difference is, just came to me, building each other up is for their benefit. When I'm flattering you, it's for my benefit. I want to say things to make you like me. That's flattery. That might have been from the Lord. I don't know. You figure it out. So, you know, we want the Holy Spirit to have his way in this place. And he's saying, okay, I want that, but I want to have my way in you. I want to have my way through you. And concerning our body, we need to line ourselves up with his desire, and that's speaking encouragement and building each other up. That also means when someone come, when a brother or sister comes to me and wants to gripe and complain about another brother or sister, Instead of me giving ear to the gossip, to the slander, and being a part of the problem, how about I be a part of the solution and help this person say, hey, you know what? That's pretty bad. That's pretty rough what happened. Let's, let's try to get this thing figured out. Let's go talk to this person. Or, or let's, whatever we need to do, let's get this worked out and be a part of the solution. If that person comes to you and they just want to gripe and whine and complain and they don't want, and you say, hey, let's go talk to this person, and they don't want any part of that, then guess what? They're going to quit coming and talking to you about that. Because if my motive is to find someone who's going to agree with me so they'll whine and complain with me, and all of a sudden you become unavailable for that, I'm either going to repent and stop doing that or I'm going to go find somewhere else where I can get some ears to hear what I want to say. But imagine us being a body where instead of continuing with the gospel, because, you know, sometimes we slip into it. We slip into the grumbling, complaining without even realizing it. I know I do. We can slip into slander or talking about people negatively without even realizing it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? 
that old man creeps up. But if we can encourage each other <clears throat> to not be a part of that, and we don't have to do it in a judging way. Ah, oh, you're gossiping. Quit that gossiping right there. You know, we don't have to <laughs> slam a person, but we can encourage and change the situation. Say, you know what, man, sister, so-and-so, that was pretty rough. Let's pray for her. Let's pray for her right now. I'm really sorry they, did, they treated you that way. Now, let's pray for the situation. Ask God to bring about a solution. Imagine what it would look like if we began to do that. <clears throat> so was this your Jerusalem? Is this the body of Christ where you need to park for a while and get things figured out? Are there people in this body that you've chosen, because you have ought with them, you've chosen to avoid them? Or can you think about every person in this fellowship and think, okay, I have a clear conscience with them, I have a clear conscience with them, and don't get a clear conscience mixed up with a seared conscience. We want the manifest presence of God in this place, don't, do we not? Imagine what it will look like when we learn to walk together and endeavor to keep the peace, keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Imagine what it's going to look like. Not if, but when. Because this is where we are moving towards. We are learning to walk together in love. We are learning to figure it out. We are learning to get over ourselves and realize that I must decrease as his life in me must increase. That's where we're heading, right? See, it's not just about the wonderful worship and the great songs when we lift our hands as long as it translates into our lives and through our lives through a lifestyle of worship unto him. And what that looks like in the body is how we walk with each other. Amen? That may be some of your Jerusalem. You may need to get some things worked out. You may be at, at odds with one another or with people in the church. If you let that fester, if you can think of anyone in a church and your heart kind of jumps, you know, your stomach kind of twinges, you know that feeling you get, that conflict? Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you think of someone and you have that situation going on inside, don't run away from it. Either figure it out, work it out, or get someone to help you say, you know what, I realize I have a situation, I have odd against this person. Would you help me walk this out because I want to get this resolved? with my brother or sister. If you let it grow, you will build a, allow the enemy to have a foothold in your life. And he doesn't want to just he just doesn't want a foothold. He wants to take over. You know it's interesting because Jesus said in, in one of the parables in Matthew 18, he said that if you don't forgive from your heart, you'll be turned over to the tormentors. And none of us want any of that. We do not want that. Okay, that's Jerusalem. That may be Jerusalem for some people. And I know we're not going to get through all this today. Judea. So moving out of chapter 4, we move into chapter 5, and it starts with, Therefore be imitators of God, verse 1, as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Again, he's talking about the body of Christ. Then later on, and how it ends... Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Very important verse. Very important verse. It's not just 
People in the congregation submit to the leadership. Although there is scriptural precedence for that. Right here it's saying everybody submit one to another. What does that look like? Practically, me being the pastor, not, oh, I can't tell you that, pastor. You're the pastor. That's a bunch of nonsense. If you have an idea or you feel like God has put something in your heart, or maybe you see something, a blind spot on, or what do you call it, blind spot? Is that right? Blind spot. You see something that you're concerned about. You, as my brother or sister, should tell me about that if you care for me. If you cop out with the excuse, oh, you're the pastor, who am I to tell you anything? That's just foolishness right there. But now if you come to me and say, you know, CJ, I'd like to tell you about something, something I'm concerned about or, or whatever, and I say, I ain't got time for this, and that's the attitude I have, then we got issues. And that's when you go talk to the other, elder, other elders or leaders and say, hey, we got to talk about this. And hopefully I'm willing to listen, to submit, say, hey, what's going on, to repent. If not, we got problems, and you probably should leave. Does that make sense? If I'm a person that's not willing to repent, willing to be open and confronted and challenged, if I'm not open, you probably don't want to be here. Because if it starts off with the little things, then it's probably going to get bigger. And we're going to be in a big mess of trouble. Okay, that was free. All right, moving into the next Judea. Verse 22. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. It's getting hot in here. (laughs) Is there more? I'm starting to feel the heat. So right after Paul deals with the body, look where he goes, grows right into marriage. And he says, it starts with wives, submit to your husbands, excuse me, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I think we can stop right there. I'm done. <laughs> For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is submissive to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, never mind, we'll skip that part. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a whole bunch in this this passage right here. And I know we... Maybe when I got to verse 22 and I shared that, maybe some of you ladies cringed. Maybe because of how this verse has been used. 
over you. I remember years ago when I was newly married, I was a young pup, inexperienced. I was perfect in my thinking. Uh, it was before kids, so we were probably married a year, a few months, a year. And I remember I would regularly tell Lisa that we need to talk. Wives, don't you love it when your husband says, honey, we need to talk. And it's not about the vacation that I'm about to take you on. It's not the great escape that I'm going to bless you with. It's usually in that context, it's, honey, we need to talk because I'm about to share with you some things that you're not measuring up to. Some things that you need to work on so you can be more perfect like thus. <laughs> and so we would have these conversations, and they'd, la- they'd happen about every two weeks. And what would happen is I would point out some things that she was not measuring up on. You know, King CJ would sit in his chair, wife, come hither so I can <laughs> fix you. We don't need any loud amens over there. <laughs> and so, we would, so what it would be is there were things that I wanted or preferred, and she wasn't doing those. She wasn't measuring up, so I was going to fix her and put her in her place and say, hey, woman. Not to say, hey, woman, because I wasn't stupid. <laughs> I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. And I said, you know, we need to work on this and this and this and this. And then she, I'm sorry, you're right. I need to fix that or work on that. And that lasted about two weeks. In her effort, her willpower, she could do it for about two weeks. And then it was starting to fall again. It's like, time for another meeting. And so this would kind of go on over and over and over until her heavenly daddy decided to do something about it. And he said, son, we need to have a talk. And he took me to Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 22. And he said, you see that verse, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And that passage right there when it talks about the wives. He said to me, son, as far as you're concerned, unless you're preaching on this passage, don't even worry about it. That is not your concern. So today I'm excited because I'm preaching about it, so I get to mention these verses. (laughs) As far as you're concerned, those verses are not your concern. And he said, you need to skip down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He said, your responsibility, son. Well, first he told me, he said, first of all, you need to understand, that's my daughter first. And you know, the the Lord wasn't yelling at me or anything like that, but his tone was so firm, I was scared. And it wasn't afraid of fear, the wrong kind of fear while I was running away from God. It was like a daddy chastising his son. In love, he was spanking my behind. And he said, she is my daughter first. She is my gift to you. Treat her that way. Yes, sir. Anything else while we're having this wonderful conversation? (laughs) And then what he began to do is he began to have me focus on verse 25 Husbands, love your wives just as, just like. And he says, how do I love you? Well, all these examples. He says, that's how you love her. Just like that. Am I patient with you? Mm -hmm. Do you mess up? Mm -hmm. 
do I point out all your imperfections? I mean, there's conviction there. But he doesn't dwell on my imperfections. He encourages my successes, and it causes me to want to succeed more, and then the imperfections begin to disappear. They begin to diminish. He says, you, your job is to love her. The other part is my concern. And notice an interesting thing. I quit nagging her. I quit saying, you need to fix this, fix this, fix this. I begin to focus on my responsibility. And I begin to endeavor to love her as he loved me. And then here's what happened. The things that I was nagging her about, that, would, that she could last two weeks... They begin to happen indefinitely. And what I realized was that when I was trying to be Holy Spirit, there was no grace there for her. When we let him be Holy Spirit, there's all kinds of grace there. I was blocking the grace in her life because I was trying to take his place. And there is no vacancy in the Trinity, so he does not need my help. And the interesting thing that began to happen, he said, son, I want you to love her so much that she would be a fool not to respect you. In other words, don't give her any excuse not to respect me. So that became my challenge, my passion, my aim. I was going to tear her up with my love. But something was happening. See, one, Lisa's very competitive. Very competitive. I mean, if you play games or whatever, she does not like to lose. So I love to beat her. But she's very competitive. And what seemed to happen, and it wasn't like we talked about this, because see, it wasn't just like, this is my analysis or, you know, trying to assess the situation. You know, God's concerned about me and me changing and becoming more like him. But he's also concerned about her and wants her to become more like him as well. He was wanting me to quit getting in the way and trying to fix her myself. So as I was fixing or allowing him to work on me and focusing on what my responsibility was, he was challenging and dealing with her and giving her grace to change as he wanted her to change. So what was happening is, one thing in this passage, I'll say this real quickly, what I've noticed is that a man's, generally speaking, a man's greatest need is to be respected. Across the board, period. A man's greatest need is to be respected, and a woman's greatest need is to be loved. Some of you might take issue with that, and that's okay because I don't have time to explain it all. But right here, why doesn't he say husbands and wives love and respect each other? He didn't say that. He says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. He was dealing with, the, I believe, the biggest issue or the biggest need that each of them had. He says, wife, take care of this. Husband, take care of this. Generally speaking, if we do that, if I love her, now of course respect comes with that and everything, if I love her, then I'm going to be meeting her greatest need. If she respects me, she's going to be meeting my biggest need. So here's what begin to happen because of this very competitive person over here. As I begin to love her, and I was determined, and it, was, it became a, a passion of mine because I did love her. Well, I still do. <laughs> Just make sure we're clear on that. But I mean, I was passionate about her. I was just flawed and just doing things stupid, right? You understand? 
So when the Lord began to teach me this and show me this, he released grace to me to begin to walk in that. And so I did. I started loving her. Just started loving her. And it's like, man, I'm going to get her so, I'm going to love her so much. She's just going to say, I can't take anymore. You know, just, I was going to get her. Well, what, how she reacted, she reacted with respect. I mean, I'd smack her down with some love and she'd give me an uppercut of respect. I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? And it felt so good. It's like, man. So I said, okay, uh-huh, watch out. And I, bam, hit her with love again. And then, bam, she'd hit me with respect again. And it became this competition where I was trying to outlove her, and it's like she was trying to outrespect me. And it became this wonderful cycle that began to happen where we were ministering to each other, meeting each other's needs. And then any time, because at that time I was a youth pastor, so I was in the ministry very passionate about the ministry, very passionate about teenagers, very passionate about the kingdom. And there's a tendency to, as men, to focus on something and to neglect the other important things or people, relationships. And this is what kept me from doing that. It's because like the Lord would check, how's your love life? How's your, are you loving your wife? And so men, my challenge to you is to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, my challenge to you is, and we're going to, not sure when, sometime soon, we're going to break this down more practically in a bigger way as far as love and respect. Give you a bigger picture of what this means. But ladies, you're not off the hook by not respecting your husbands, not submitting to your husbands. I'm just not going to emphasize that as a man. You've heard it plenty. But unto the Lord, you're still responsible. And ladies, I just want to give you a little hint. Some of the problems that you may have with your husband is you cause him to feel very disrespected. And I can tell you that is one of the crushing blows of a man. Is when they feel disrespected. And I'm going to close with this. I don't have time to deal with Samaria and into the world. We'll get to that next week. But... Lisa's not waiting until I deserve respect to respect me. And that's what, you know, actually the Bible, just like the Bible tells us men, are we supposed to love our wives conditionally? Is that how Jesus loves us? Conditionally? Love them unconditionally, right? Well, the same command to the women about respect is unconditional respect. Unconditional respect. Unconditional love. But we think... Well, I'll respect him when he deserves it. He didn't deserve my respect. There were plenty of times when I've done some boneheaded things, i.e., trying to buy a car off the internet. Now, I'm not saying I actually did that. I'm just saying, you know, just in case. I threw $3,700 down the toilet. Might as well have. Well, actually, no, this other guy, he was rejoicing over that $3,700. Never got my car. And as Lisa and I were talking, she even tried to warn me. She didn't feel good about this transaction about to happen. I felt good about it. This is awesome. This deal. She didn't feel good about it. Didn't have peace at all. She goes, honey, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if we should do this. It's good. I got this. I got it. I got this. Oh, we got it all right. Got on the other end of that email, sucker. 
So I gave a stranger $3,700. Didn't get no car in return. You, most of you have heard this story before. But here's the, here's the kicker right here. She had every opportunity to slam me in the dust. Do you realize that we can't afford $3,700? Do you realize? I mean, she could have tore me up. She didn't grab at me one time. Not once. Now, I guarantee I won't do it again. <laughs> but when the, the moment when I needed, I realized my mistake. I mean, Han, well, he was a little late. He tried to warn, but he said, brother, that didn't sound right. But it was too late. <laughs> I didn't need your wisdom then. It was too late. But I mean, he didn't know about it until after I had done it. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have said, brother, that does not sound right at all. I realized my mistake. I realized how, oh my goodness, I just threw $3,700 away. Are you kidding me? I had to borrow that money, by the way. I didn't have $3,700. I borrowed $3,700. And then I gave it away and didn't even get a car back. I realized how stupid that was. I blew past the warnings, blew past the wisdom and counsel of my wife, blew past it because it was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity for the other guy. (laughs) Perfect opportunity for him. But I realized how bad I had done, how stupid of a mistake that was. And I was on the ground, and she could have come, and she could have kicked me, and I would have said, go ahead, kick me more. I deserve this. And she did not do that at all. I can't remember what she said, but it was something like, oh, well, live and learn or something like that. Something. And that was it. And to this day, she has not brought it up one time. Now, I bring it up all the time. (laughs) That's right. And all I'm doing is I'm trying to give you an example of why I love this woman so much. Well, it's not why I love, but why it's easy for me to love this woman is because she respects me. And she knows me. She knows the imperfections. She lives with the imperfections. And she respects me, regardless. So talking about feeling proud in the right sense, it's like, man, I feel like a king. Because the one who loves me the most and is the closest to me loves me unconditionally, respects me. And that encourages me to want to love her again, more. And then she respects me. And then I want to throw it. You get what I'm, get what I'm saying? Let's all stand together. So we're talking about finding your Jerusalem. You may have issues or situations in the church with God's people, your brothers and sisters, that the Lord's wanting you to get some things reconciled. Or husbands or wives, you may have some issues in your marriage relationship, excuse me, that the Lord is wanting you to minister to, take care of, not neglect. Why is this stuff so important? Not only for the relationships, but for effective ministry of the gospel. If I'm learning to take care and deal with my relationships in the right way, in a godly way, and I'm taking care of my, my marriage in the right way, then when I go out there to the world and I have the opportunity to share with them, guess what? I have a message. 
Especially if I come across a man who's struggling with his wife, guess what? I have a message. But if I'm neglecting my wife, and I'm trying to share the gospel with this man, and he's struggling with his wife, what am I going to be able to say to him? I can say words, but there will be no authority behind it. Jesus spoke with authority, and he wants us to speak with authority. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace that you make available to every single one of us to respond to you, to walk the way you've called us to walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've called us. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. And because we love you, Father, we're going to hear this word and we're going to put it into action. And Lord, I just speak your blessing on every person here, every family represented here. I thank you for meeting all of our needs. I thank you for blessing the businesses that are represented in this place, multiplying them crazy in crazy ways, Father. I thank you for blessing the marriages and the families and your people. I just speak your blessing over everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.